I got a life hack for you. Ooh, all right. With this one little trick, you can save millions. <laughs> well, maybe not. Doctors hate them for this one little trick. <laughs> it's, it is a productivity hack. And Ooh. it's, you know, when you're feeling overwhelmed, you're like, there's just a lot of housework that needs to get done. There's just a lot on your to-do list. Are you going to make a list? Yeah, you, you make. So I already maintain a to-do list obsessively. Uh, it gets very granular <laughs> and very far out. I plan my entire week. But a fun hack is to rename the list from to-do list, boring, pedestrian, whatever, into what is to be done. <laughs> <laughs> so that way you can imagine a little cartoon Lenin just like kind of tapping his foot impatiently at you like, come on, are you going to do the dishes or not? <laughs> Comrades, I beseech you, you must do the dishes. <laughs> You have to do your workout or you won't get buff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> have you eaten your raw meat today? <laughs> so, yeah, I really wish I could design stationery because I would absolutely do like a cartoon linen to-do list called what is to be done. He's just there like, well? <laughs> yeah, expectantly looking up at you. Yeah. Uh, we should all do well to rephrase our daily tasks in life. <laughs> you know, remember if if your if your life is not just a, you know, it doesn't consist only of small distractions from the large mission that is bringing about communist revolution. Yeah, yeah. If it's mainly that sideshow, then the sideshow becomes the thing itself, and Oof. this is sort of, I don't know. I mean, in some respects, we would say that's a kind of liberalism: is turning your life into just. Instead of the side quest, it's that becomes the quest of just doing everything else. You gotta remember what you're what you're actually about. Very true. Very true. I think a lot of people struggle with that. You know, we all say like, "Oh, I'm just trying to survive under capitalism," but that takes so much time and energy that yeah, it can definitely take over your life. Yeah, becomes the main quest, and that's that's what we're at. That's what we're about. Before you know it, you know, you end up with really. Not just bad takes, but just bad, like, mm, praxis, bad just yeah. ethos, bad everything. You're <laughs> bad just... living. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw something to the effect of, you know, people saying that, you know, just observing crises can be, like, important. And people are like, hold on. Like, you can't just, that that's just some liberal bullshit. Like, that's not enough. You can't just be like, I watched that bad thing happen. Yeah. That's that's not resistance. That's neutral. Right. And wor what's worse is coming out and saying, look at me. Mm -hmm. I witnessed this. So, the so performative the, aspects for right, sure. Yeah. You know, the, you know, we don't always, def we definitely as co-hosts don't see eye to eye on it. But I, I mean, I, I do think that the Christian tradition has a good thing to say about, you know, the, that uh, you, you, you look at the hypocrites and they pray in the streets and, and yeah. they... Make sure that everybody knows that they're fasting and everybody knows that they're almsgiving and everything. And I tell you, they've they've had their reward. You know, mm -hmm. and, and who's going to really get the reward of the people who are, you know, praying in secret, or whatever. But I mean, like that's <laughs> that's the thing is like the ostentatiousness of it is its own reward, is its own thing. And people who are doing that, that's what they're serving. We're I I I hope that we're we're both, yeah, we are out here trumpeting things, but we're 
really aiming it at you. You know, we're, we're not trying to say, look at us, we're great. I mean, we spend half the time <laughs> talking about how we're not. Like, yeah, that's very true. So uh, I remember that sermon really well because I feel like they trotted it out at Lent every time just mm-hmm. to be like, guys, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> we get it. You don't get to eat meat on Fridays. It's not that hard. Two weeks, three weeks in, that's when that, <laughs> that one comes. Like, stop complaining, you bitch. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I even, I saw a post like how not to be performative and I'm like, you don't perform. Like, why do I need a post about that? Like, you know, well, you have to think about the, the medium through which Westerners and, you know, Imperial core country people experience all this through and it's through spectacle. I mean, like mm-hmm. it, it's, it truly it's just, is. It's a news consumption thing to them. And let's be honest to us. Yeah, like, we're so far removed. Yeah, we like we can agonize and we can take credit for being more progressive than other people, in it, but we're not in it like at all. And some people want to try to trans, you know, try to bridge that gap and say how personally this is rending their hearts and things like that. And that's a, kind of the disingenuous part of it. I mean, like, yeah, you can be torn up about stuff, but it's not the same as literally living your life in fear of being like killed in an airstrike where you don't even where it just crashes all down around you like it just like everything just roars into oblivion and everything's done like there's no enemy there's to no fight. comparison there's yeah you're just wiped you know yeah i think that's why i struggle with those kinds of things that are like, Oh, like take care of yourself during this and all this stuff. And it's like, dude, I'm not the one getting blown up. Like I'm, I'm fine. And that's the thing that I'm mad about is the inequality of this. Yeah. I think that a, you should take care of yourself and everything and uh, to the extent that you can, Mm -hmm. but B, you shouldn't let that, I don't know. Maybe this is kind of an excuse. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is more of an ascetic sort of tendency of my, my own, mental state of it or what have you but like i feel a little bit guilty about being able to you know be like well at the end of the day i'm going to be able to cuddle my cats and Mm -hmm. things are going to be fine Mm -hmm. you know and and yeah I, i can take care of myself to cope with having had to see this misery inflicted on other people instead of being the one experiencing it yeah i feel very similarly of like how am i just supposed to like go back to my my comfortable life Ugh, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's fucked. No, I, th- I think the delicate balance, you know, dance that you have to kind of balance between the two is being able to keep yourself sane and stuff without allowing that to corrupt you, the the ability to distance yourself, to corrupt you into callousness that is like, yeah, but that's someone else. That's that's someone else's yeah. lot, you know. And and again, like the the to-do list thing of not letting that take over, not letting your self-care be the only thing you do. Yeah. Self-care for what? Recharging for what? Like building yourself up and, you know, you know, making sure you're there to make somebody else some more money. Like, don't you think they have enough? <laughs> exactly. That's not what you're in it for. Oh, you know, yeah. you should be trying to rip your boss off as much as possible. Please do. Like, like cutting all the corners, <laughs> giving them just enough to make them think that they should give you maybe more money or the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. I don't care. But like, don't let them fire you, but come home with as much spare time, as much spare energy as possible and put that into good things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I mean, since we're on on the subject, I, I was reminded of a very fucked up law here in Texas regarding Israel, uh, which is the Israel boycott law uh, that applies to contractors in the state of Texas. If you are a contractor, uh, it's, it's actually pretty common in colleges and education. You will be uh, required to sign a form saying you will not speak out against Israel and you will not do anything to that effect, basically. And uh, I actually have had to sign one of these in the past. This was, you know, several years ago. I didn't know what the fuck I was signing. So (laughs) (laughs) I think today I'd have a different response. So, uh, yeah. Now, public school employees, I believe, fall under the same purview of state employees and or subject to those things, which is my big middle finger to you guys. Come find me, bitch. I would love to be a stay-at-home, you know, (laughs) stay-at-home fella. So Stay-at-home cat dad, living the dream. Yeah, if you want someone else to fucking deal with all the kids, which I love, by the way, but I mean, on the other hand, you are dealing with There's a huge teacher shortage. Like, you really, you're going to come after people? Yeah. Bring it. I won't (laughs) fight it that hard. Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, we're under that. It's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's insane. Like, it's just such a specific thing. Like, no other thing of protest can get you fired or, you know, make them refuse to pay you. But that, like, it's so insane. Like, you can go out to a fucking Nazi rally and, like, that's fine, apparently. But, ugh. Yeah. Uh, Texas is kind of unique. I think in that. I don't know. I don't know how widespread that is. I don't know. I've never heard of it anywhere else. I shared it on my Instagram the other day to see if if anyone would be like, oh, I've heard of that too here, but no bites. Well, Texas, you know, we always come out and we're like, damn, we're like the the eighth largest economy if we Mm -hmm. were our own country, you know, and (laughs) shit like that. And, And the downside to that is whenever they're like, yeah, look what we're doing with our economy. So one example is in the past, I guess by this point, week and a half or so. Texas Comptroller Glenn Hagar mm. announced the purchase of $20 million in Israeli bonds. Oh, my God. Like from the state of Israel. Uh, oh. like Texas is just funding Israel to the tune of $20 million. Fuck, I hate this state sometimes. It will provide liquidity to Israel as it defends itself against Hamas. Oh, my according God. According to a news release from their office. Okay, I saw an internet rumor, and I'm sure we'll not we're not going to get to the bottom of it in our you know hour plus podcast here. But I read something that like Netanyahu, he like his organization was like secretly funding Hamas or something, or that like Hamas's funding is weird in some way. I don't know about Hamas's funding necessarily, but um, that's a careful Google. <laughs> from my understanding. Uh, the state of Israel, much like the U.S., preferred the radical Islamists al-Qaeda mm. to come out of the Mujahideen sort of morass. Which we kind of talked about in our last shoot in the shit of, like, they shut down, like, the actual leftist The leftists groups. and stuff, yeah. So that so they, they preferred a- the hardliners so that they could have, like, kind of a bad guy. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know the mechanisms, but I've heard this enough to be like, that's probably what happened. <laughs> You have I wouldn't to dive be surprised. Into it, yeah. Yeah. One of those okay. classic blowback sort of scenarios. Mm, yeah. We've never done any of those, right? No. <laughs> when does that ever happen? <laughs> Insane. Uh, but yeah, you know, classic, uh, you know, Philadelphia guy blunder. Netanyahu, by the way, 
went to high school in Philadelphia. What? Has a Philadelphia accent. Like, oh in my America. god. Yeah, wow. no, I mean and that's and that's another thing you come you know, with you come away with so many of the uh settler, you know, videos and everything. Everybody's got a perfect American accent for some reason or another. Like why? Well, this they moved there in the last two years because they grew up in America. Like that that happens a lot. Ugh, yeah, yeah. And and there's you know ties even to the Lone Star State as uh, the comptroller says here. Texas has a has long had a deep spiritual, political, and economic connection to Israel and the Israeli people. They're our friend and ally, and Texas supports their right to defend their people against these cowardly terrorists. We'll stand with them and provide the financial liquidity needed to respond to the atrocities we've all witnessed. Which, let us remind you that we're going to respond to that with more and like more more one-sided atrocities than what were committed, perhaps. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, so apparently after the purchase, Texas will hold nearly $100 million in Israeli bonds. Wow. And yeah, so they're going to... Sure, in five years, blah blah blah. Basically, we're just giving him a loan. Yeah, and we're just like, please buy more weapons. It's on us. No, I mean he does dance in the in the people of Texas's face or dances on their stage because most Texans will be like, hell yeah, brother. <laughs> uh, the state of Israel is a solid investment. For nearly thirty years, Israel bonds have been a key component in our investment portfolio at the state's treasury, providing a reliable return for the people of Texas. As a Texas taxpayer, I am proud <laughs> to support our ally and as your comptroller, I am confident this is a prudent financial decision for the state of Texas. As a Texas taxpayer, I bet he pays like a dollar in taxes. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The dude is dodging as much as he possibly can. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Here's hoping that uh, Hamas makes his investment less... (laughs) Fruitful. Yeah, less fruitful than he thought. And, you know, with minimal civilian casualties and stuff, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we're going to be fighting a war, I hope his side loses. (laughs) Yeah, for real. I'm against the ethno-state part of it. Like, I, I don't like those guys. Those guys seem like they're the bad guys. Like, if we're going to have a war, I would like for them not to be winning. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Unlike the state of Texas, they want those guys to win. They're pro-ethnostate. Never forget. It was interesting, too, another Texas tie-in here. Not to make this the Texas podcast. The Texas Communist Podcast, I'm right? okay with leaning into that identity. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, we could call it Howdy Comrades, which is pretty good. Is that, however, is that like... You know how the Tribbler is like, y'all is like mm. anti-Southern slur at this point or something. Like, is that like... That's true. You know, I really don't know any Texans that say howdy besides A&M freaks. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a culty thing there, too. It's, it's like, really culty. Howdy. You know, Ugh. Yeah. Fuck, howdy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is in the Texas Tribune. Friends of the show. Literally, we, we mean this. Yes. Like, you guys always do great reporting. If you ever want to... If you ever have exclusives you want to share with us. Please. And you're, you know, you're if nearly you're out. drummed out of a job or something. I don't know why you're coming to us, but <laughs> you're really low on sources and material. Yeah, we'll we'll put a fucking bullhorn to it Absolutely. as much as we can. Uh, but they were doing this story on uh, this political action committee, this PAC uh, called Defend Texas Liberty. 
Mm. Sounds great. I mean, you know, that sounds like something we can all get behind is Texas Liberty. Totally. We definitely don't have enough of that. Yeah, never. That never led to any problems, say, in 1860 <laughs> or so. No, no, no. no. We were, what were we doing then? Nothing. Don't worry about it. Or, to be a little more, more controversial, 1836, when we were leading, you know, a Texas revolution, in part to mm. preserve our rights to slavery. Yep. Which is grotesquely downplayed in all of the Texas history that we have to listen to in Texas. Right. That's very true. Uh, in recent weeks, allies of this pack Defend Texas Liberty have sought to downplay a meeting between the group's former leader, Jonathan Strickland, and prominent white supremacist Nick Fuentes. Oh, my which, God. First of all, Nick Fuentes, we can all see your last name. Yeah, what are what you are doing? You? <laughs> come you on. Idiot. They're going to come for you next, dummy. Even if you're a Spaniard, you're not, like, white enough to count. Like, I mean... <laughs> Hitler would have said, like, yeah, there's, like, Iberians, and there's, you're, you're incorrect. You're, yeah, you're still not safe. <laughs> Come on, man. Idiot. He would have said, yeah, but, like, the intermixing with the Moors or something <laughs> stupid. Like, it's all bullshit, but, like, still, you're not even playing by the bullshit rules that they have. Anyway, they're facing controversy for having met with this guy. They've cast it as... A one-off mistake, or as Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick put it, a serious blunder. Oops, Oops. we met with the white supremacist guy. Man, I hate when I accidentally meet with white supremacists. It really throws off my week. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, because it, like, ends up with you in jail for having punched him in the jaw or something. But these guys, yeah. <laughs> a little bit more trivial, you know, a little just... Oops, yeah, Oops. we you know, like went to a three-course dinner and like, hung <laughs> out. We hung out and are working in the same organization. Dang it. Responded to calls for him to return the $3 million that he received from Defend Texas Liberty this summer, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick initially said he would not do so because there was, quote, no hint of any links between the group and any anti-Semitic organizations or other hate groups when he took the funds in June. Mm. The Texas Tribune goes on to say, there were, however, ample links. <laughs> Except, <laughs> yes, there were. <laughs> right. So basically, yeah, there, there's a lot of people tied to Defend Texas Liberty doing really actual anti-Semitic stuff, not like... I don't agree with the policies of the state of Israel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How dare you, anti-Semite? Like, they should <laughs> be able to... Not that kind of... Yeah. Right. Like, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. This includes, for example, Ella Malding, a social media co coordinator for Strickland's consulting firm, who praised Fuentes as the, quote-unquote, greatest civil rights leader in history. Oof. You don't have to dig far. You can just be like Martin Luther King, Malcolm <laughs> X, yeah, Fred Hampton. Like, come There's on. There's other ones to choose from. We're going I, for I mean, Nick Fuentes first. He is leading, but in a bad direction. <laughs> yeah, he's leading. I mean, like he maybe is the widest one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Unorthodox. The we yeah the weirdest one. <laughs> a sharp right turn. There's also Shelby Griesinger, 
the treasurer for Defend Texas Liberty, who's claimed on social media that Jews worship a false god. Whoa. And she has shared memes that depict them as the enemies of Republicans, which Whoa. makes them sound cool. But It does make them sound cool. But <laughs> wow, that's rough. Yeah, so again, that's that's not like, whoa, they really had to dig deep to find these people. That's just basic social media posts. Like <laughs> the, the Defend Texas Liberty Political Action Committee, they apparently donate to lots of conservative groups. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, we mentioned, also uh, Texas Darling recently, you know, excused from all of his potential, but totally trumped <laughs> up charges. Uh Attorney General Ken Paxton, mm-hmm. you know, free man. He get away man. with all that shit? Yeah, got away with 100% of oh it. Oh my God, what a piece of shit. I need to, like, look up his face so if I ever see him, I can, like, flip him just, off or something. Yeah, just fuck you. Yeah, he sucks. It's on site, man. Paxton, yeah. just throw something at him. Like, I feel like all politicians should be required to wear, like, a big placard that has their name and, and title <laughs> on it so that when you do see them, like, hey, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I'm U.S. House representative. And it just like has a, like a scrolling you, voting you last, I was going to say, yeah, whatever it is you last voted on is there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I voted hey, to deprive asshole. kids of yeah, <laughs> welfare. Fuck you. Fuck you. They really should. you in line. <laughs> you know, and people like to say, oh, AI has this, these promising mm-hmm. features. And yeah, you know. Facial recognition for those fuckers. I'll do that. Exactly. So many people are going to be out of work. You know, in all these jobs that we we just, how are we going to do it? But the counter argument is always that, like, yeah, the Industrial Revolution did the same thing. How, you know, what all jobs did it create that we couldn't think of before? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's the same thing here is, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of bad in some ways. But, like, what new uses can we put it to? <laughs> and we can put it to publicly shaming our politicians in I'm okay way more accessible that. ways. Yeah, and it creates the new job of heckler, which I'm very into. Hell yeah. Bring back the rotten tomatoes, throwing at people, all that yeah. shit. It's like a mobile version of the stockades. You yeah, know? I was going to say not- stockades, too. That'd be pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like anywhere they go. Like, they can't get seats at a restaurant. They can't, they can't do shit. Like, no, your money's no good here, but not in the cool way. It's like, get the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, Defend Texas Liberty is part of a sprawling network of nonprofits, dark money groups, and political mm. campaigns and media companies that have. What's received... the difference? Am I right? Yeah, that's all. That's <laughs> Those all, are all same. the same thing. They've received more than one hundred million dollars from three, count them one, two, three, West Texas oil billionaires. Oh my God, that's so many. Texas, Texas Tribune <laughs> names the names Tim Dunn. Fuck you. Brothers Ferris and Dan Wilkes. Fuck them. As part of a decades-long project to push Texas to the far right. Which didn't need that much pushing. I, but. I didn't think we needed billionaires to make that happen, but okay. <laughs> Earlier this month, the Texas Tribune reported that Fuentes, an admirer of Adolf Hitler, who has mm. called for a holy war against Jews... Recently met with Strickland for nearly seven hours at the offices of, and I kid you not, the name of this consulting firm is <clears throat> Pale Horse Strategies. Oh my god. And I looked and I saw upon the fourth horse, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, the fourth one was a, a pale horse and a, and a rider that was, it was, it was death. 
Yeah. That's... I, what the fuck? We've mentioned them on the show before, though. Maybe. I want to say we have. Maybe it was about, like, Dan Patrick or something. I don't know. They're, that that name is really familiar. Uh, maybe you've read it or... Maybe I've read it. I've read it and forgotten it. Uh, but, <laughs> but that's insane. That's just, that's just making fun of us at this point. It truly... That's... <laughs> ugh. So, met with Strickland or whatever. For seven hours, they met. You don't think anything came up in that that was questionable? You think you could talk to a guy like that who is an open admirer of Hitler for seven hours and not have that come up? Yeah, are you talking about, like, your favorite mustache <laughs> styles or something? Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> like, how do you avoid that? Yeah, your oh favorite Hugo Boss, like, <laughs> suit combos. What's your favorite uh, European vehicle? <laughs> <laughs> what do you see as and the you can't car of the, the people? <laughs> yeah. Besides that, well, I'd have to say a leopard tank. Um, mm. Apparently... The closest thing to an explanation for the Fuentes visit has come from Patrick, who said earlier this month that he had spoke to Dunn, who told him, quote unquote, mistakes were made. It's <laughs> the best quote. But they're ever. being corrected. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You know. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Sometimes you accidentally meet with a Nazi. <laughs> that happens. I mean, no matter how anti-Nazi you are, except for like, you know, <laughs> we never had the problem of Nazis trying to talk to us. No, yeah, not for a long time. <laughs> they never like, can we talk to you? Like, They never seem to think they can make a pact with us. <laughs> you seem like kindred spirits. We would like to help you on the same path. None of that. We never mm -hmm. get that. I wonder mm -hmm. why. It's like they define themselves antithetically in terms of like, <laughs> Our existence threatens theirs. Like that that's mm. the con the whole communist and fascist dichotomy is. And that's why you gotta like you do have to zoom out and look at it through the historical lenses. Like, who is the good guy and who's the bad guy if constantly the fascists openly tell you we are here to protect you against the communists? Mm-hmm. What is the biggest threat to civilization? They will say the communists, right? Like, I mean, like, why are we the bad guys in the eyes of the, like, what George Lucas would say is the evil empire? I mean, like, <laughs> like to the point of making their uniforms in Star Wars of, like, the these are the bad guys. Making yeah, them look like the Nazis. they're called stormtroopers. Yeah, like. It's, <laughs> yeah, what does that make us? It's uh, like, and, th and that, that whole thing trafficked in, you know, Joseph Campbell's, like, Hero yes. with a Thousand Faces, like... Uh, the myths. The, yeah, the, the, the monomyth sort of thing of, like, connecting mm -hmm. all the... And that's what the Third Reich and everything was so, like, why it's so historically, like, poignant no matter what is that it's got these, like, images of death and, like, it was fundamentally in what it was doing and its imagery, evil. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Then, it, then it's just strange to zoom out and then have like you know Canada applauding the Nazi guy and stuff of being mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. oh, this wasn't so bad. Like you know, you could be pushed <laughs> into like being a Nazi because you were fighting against a communist. Like what? Like how do those end up being equivalent? There's so many decades of brainwashing that have to go into making people think that these are like even remotely the same. I mean that that is what it is though. Is it's it is a complete false equivalence. It's a complete. 
intentional painting of it as as just as bad or sometimes worse like i've heard people say like oh yeah stalin's worse than hitler and that kind of shit yeah. and it's like oh he killed even more bajillions of people mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's like well first off a lot of those were nazis and i'm glad they're dead yeah they, <laughs> they should have been killed twice you should increase the tally <laughs> yeah then. bring him back just to do it again <laughs> so the tribune contacted dan patrick's office the day after they contacted him and he was he didn't say anything to them because the uh, Tribune. He issued a press release announcing that he is investing $3 million, the same amount that he received from Defend Texas Liberty this summer. Where do you think he's investing this in? Israel. In bonds for Israel. My God. Go from one fascist to another. Right. And that's the thing is he would come at you and say, no, I love Jewish people. No, he would say you are anti-Semitic for saying that, for saying Mm -hmm. that Israel's an apartheid state, for saying they're doing the same thing that the Nazis were doing. How dare you, et cetera. And that's what they'll try to do. I mean, they'll try to pull the wool over your eyes and they'll try to say, oh, any criticism of the state of Israel is anti-Semitic. Anything that equates them and their you know, racial ethnostate project with apartheid South Africa, with Nazi Germany, with the genocidal campaign, not only of Nazi Germany, but of who did they get that inspiration from? Mm. From the United States campaign <laughs> against its own indigenous population. Hitler openly admired that and yeah. said, I hope we can do that here. Once again, who are the bad guys? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. If we're using Nazis as ultimate bad guy, which, you know, fair compass reading. Come on. Like, it's not that hard. (laughs) Yeah. No. I mean, like, Hitler would have had, I guess if he had had access to it, he would have put, you know, Andrew Jackson's portrait (laughs) on the wall somewhere. Yeah. Like, it's that sort of... And then they want to turn around and say, well, because, you know, these are, (laughs) in their own anti-Semitic way or in their own bigoted way, these are the representatives of all Jews. Israel is. Therefore, you have to support them in... I don't know. It's It's insane. (laughs) <laughs> and if you don't, then you're the anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. and it It's just, such a reductive reading of it. Yeah, and it sweeps under the rug, not only historically, but even present day, Jewish anti-Zionism, which yes. is totally a thing that is being completely ignored by the U.S. mainstream press and anybody with an interest in this thing that's pushing the kind of let's back Israel's war agenda. Yeah, like that is a huge population of Jewish people. Like there's lots of scholarship involved in that as well. Like that's, it's a thing. Yeah. Like it's not just like one person that thinks that way. Like that's a thing. No, yeah, it's, it's huge. And again, we're going to, we're, you know, we'll eventually be bringing you guys some historical deep dives. That's kind of next on our plate, I think. Do you want something stupider to look at? I do. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I can turn. I feel like I'm so immersed in this. And like, this is just my day to day, like the stew I'm swimming in. Mm-hmm. That I can, that everything is coming back. Palestine, like, every, <laughs> like it's, it's all flowing back to it, you know? Yeah. I, I feel similarly. Um, uh, so I learned about this terrible campaign while I was in, New York and on the subway in the subway station there are these ads would you like to read some of the ads here oh yeah I love ads let's see what do we got what do we got what do we got this is in someone's (laughs) art project no this is I'll tell you what it is after you read them 
It's okay to marry someone just for their goals. Fill the giant goal in your heart. And the piece de resistance? <clears throat> Be a goal digger. Yes, a repeating pattern of goal, as G-O-A-L, digger. Uh, additional headlines in this campaign include achieve multiple goal-gasms. Oh my god. Uh, you like big goals and you cannot lie. Yeah, so this is an ad... <laughs> For a dating service. No, it's not satirizing like no, materialism it's real. and capitalism and it's real. It's called the League. <laughs> the League. What is this? Tinder for more diseased people? According to their Instagram, it is a community for goal-oriented singles looking for a partner who shares their ambition. Hashtag find your goalmate. <laughs> you deserve what you get. <laughs> you deserve what you get. If you, if you end up in that cesspool, what you you know you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I that should be on on the list once we take over. Like anyone who used that, we got to have a talk. No, they're we they're going to be in heavy, serious rehabilitation. Heavy deprogramming needed. Yeah, that's a real ass ad series that I saw in real life. And I was like, I'm sorry, what is that? <laughs> Upwardly striving daters. Ugh. That's so gross. Just reducing people to their fucking jobs. What is their, like, material? What are they bringing to the table, like, in my career prospectus, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how can we achieve our goals together? And, okay, people can say, well, you know, you're diehard communist revolutionaries are so dedicated to the mission and everything. But what, like, in their, in, in the historical records, actual, like, you know, what, how does that play out? What do we look at, you know, people who have led communist revolutions and things in terms of their personal life and stuff? And some of them have been kind of ascetic, but none of them have ever been. You know, I married this person so that I could better the revolution. You know, yeah. And most of them have been like, to the extent that they do find relationships and stuff, those are like genuine, like, mm-hmm. you know, those are people that they care about and stuff. And that, that's like, they're humans. And that's, and if you, you know, dig into Marx and everything and like, you know, a big part of his message is not just, you know, because cause what gets to more, I think, historical focus is, Hey, here are the trends in history. Here's kind of the science that's laid out. And so here's what's going to happen. But I think a, a big, huge part of that is that philosophy of what does it mean to free people? Like, if we can do this, if this starts to happen, where will humanity go? And him and Engels really take this of like, you know, humanity exiting its childhood and becoming mm-hmm. more self-realized. And this is the opposite. Of that. This is like... <laughs> Fuck you, instead of freeing you from the constraints that say that you have to meet these material, you know, you, you have to struggle to survive. What if you make that all you're about and, like, internalize it, make it romantic? Like, it's you now. Sorry. I mean, it, it is very much going back to the traditional idea of marriage of marrying for status and for wealth like what the fuck but but it's not even you don't even have the out of my parents or my Mm -hmm. society you're doing this to yourself yeah 
You become your own policeman. You become your own Gestapo that's forced yourself to do that. Yeah, yeah. It is It is a profound dehumanization of, and I, I think, you know, this, because I'm swimming in the material of, of surveillance capitalism, is there's a big desire to quantify all these data points about humans in order for us to be more like machines. And this reminds me of that in that it's like, it's so specific in what these people are supposedly looking for that it's, it is like, okay, like that's the metric by which I'm going to choose it apart. It leaves no room for like growing with a person and learning about like, it's just like, ugh, it's just so gross. I mean, that's, that's a big issue with dating apps in general is how they reduce people to data points. And it's like, it's impossible to know, like, am I actually going to hit it off with this person or not? Like, there's no, I don't know how that happens. So there's a bright side to that. The bright side to that is you're saying this is hyper specific. This is, this is advertising to something that they understand is not the vast majority of people. It's, mm-hmm. it's really catering to those people who have fallen so far afield from humanity that here's going to siphon at. all of the crap out of the dating apps, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, it's it's at least not indicative of where we are, right? No, it's, it's, yeah, at least not yeah I hope not. It's like, yeah, there are some too far gone folks and this is going <laughs> to hit them and and the capitalists can easily make some money off of that, right? So, I mean, I guess in that sense, it's kind of good. The thing you were saying about all the data points, I guess, basically. Mm -hmm. Reducing people to data. Yeah. It's like a hyper-advanced version of Taylorism. Yes. It it definitely is a totally an outgrowth of, like, no aberrations from the norm, please. Yeah, like... (laughs) But the strange, perverse expansion of that beyond the workplace into everything we do. And I mean, that's probably the big insight I feel like we're going to be exploring when we talk about surveillance capitalism is how they've managed to maybe monetize or advertise to or whatever, get their data points, get their little, because so Taylorism was you'd have a guy Mm, with a stopwatch like at your factory timing all of your moves all the time to figure out like. And this was, I think, at the time, seen as a pretty big invasion of people's privacy. Mm. Of what ways, like, what bodily motions. Like, they were studying your body in detail as a factory worker. Like, what degrees and what angles and everything else were the most efficient. And now, instead of stopwatch guy, you've got your Apple Watch guy. You've got all the sensors picking up on you. Yeah, I've read some fucked up shit on how that is actually being used in workplaces. It's terrifying. Workplaces in... So I think that's a nexus of it. I think the the scary part to a lot of people would be how far out that extends of like, you know, one simple and pretty low-tech example is how they've extended their tendrils through health insurance and yes. through doing things like wellness programs mm-hmm. and things like that to say... We want you to track your health and stuff, and that's just so that you can, you know, get this discount on your mm-hmm. health insurance stuff. And really, it's so that we can punish track you. you and <laughs> yeah, and punish you if you don't do these things because you're not going to get that discount and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely a huge component of it. But yeah, I mean, I would say the employment one's really bad too because, like, you're 
you're a captive audience there. Like you'd have to quit if you're not okay with that invasion of your privacy. Yeah. So that is once again, uh, torturing you for the sake of your survival in capitalism. <laughs> like, ugh. nasty shit, dude. We're going to get into it in a few weeks. I, I'm almost done with my notes and I'm, Oh yeah, it's, it's rough stuff. I'm on the chapter now that talks about like the effect it has on teens and shit. So that's, that's nice and depressing. Teens out there. Good luck. What do you think? So, what do you think about that? Like, I feel like we failed them in a way. Yeah. Not you and I specifically. <laughs> I just mean <laughs> me you specifically. Know, we're supposed to probably. I think I. I feel like the millennial generation, or what have you, at least the predominant class of it, which is the working class, like failed to really make a big. What was it? Obama? Like that's he held up the fucking status quo. I mean, like you know, and, and that was an illusion. I don't know. It was. What did we do? What did we do to help change things in any way? And I don't think that we did. Like, globally, no. American for sure, but... Uh, so, to, to, that, to the generation that's coming up, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's a rough world you are inheriting. Uh, and it will only be a world for a little while longer, so best of luck. I don't know. Like we're, I think we are materially worse off in so many ways. Like, I mean, obviously climate wise, but just regular people wise, like it's just so much harder to survive. Yeah, housing. I mean, housing, housing is a big one. Impossible. Yeah. Like you just can't afford rent. You can't afford a house. There's just not. That's just not a thing you can do anymore. As a normal person, you have to have a huge influx of wealth to be able to do that. Like, I would not have been able to buy a house unless I sold a book. And like, not everyone can do that, and not everyone should have to do that. That's insane. Uh, and I'm like fairly well off compared to a lot of people. So like, what the fuck? <laughs> no. And some of these companies come out and openly said, we want people to get used to the fact that they're going to be renting for their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah. And you know why they want that? Cause that's money. Like, yeah. of course they do. It's not just housing. It's anything that can sell you this. Anything that can service. be rented will now be rented. Like there's no ownership anymore. Like there's fucking Airbnbs for pools now. God forbid we have a fucking public pool. No, we have to make an app for it so people can rent out their private, their home pool to people to go use it. And lest you think that these things aren't all intertwined. Of course, we all know. And if you don't know, this is your first episode. That's fine. Friend Direct, mm-hmm. you here. Welcome. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> You're valued. You're, You're the best. Housing and uh, segregated neighborhoods and stuff. That are not officially segregated. Now, that has like a, you know, that racial component of redlining Mm -hmm. from back in the day. The lack of publicly available swimming pools and stuff has that same racial heredity of when desegregation came. Just like we have white flight from public schools in cities, we have white flight from public municipal swimming pools all over the place. And that used to be... A hub of community. Yeah, that's like the place to be in the summer. Yeah. That was closed down. That was just gated off and, and privatized when they said you can't discriminate here anymore. You know, when they said you have to open this to everybody. And like how far reaching it is too. Like I was in, in Queens on my, my trip to New York and I was talking to a, a bookstore owner and he was like, this is the only bookstore in Queens now. There's just no bookstores in the whole fucking borough. Whoa. I think the Bronx also only has one. Like, it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, what does that do to a community where you're not just able to go, like, pick something up 
to learn about something, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't even want to think about the state of public libraries. Like, oh, my God. No, and that's crazy, too. You know, the Bronx and, and huge cities like that, you used to have such a dense, learned, like, intellectual community. One of the interesting things I thought about when I was kind of learning about him and what he had done is Noam Chomsky he talked about mm. uh, kind of growing up in a radical newspaper stand that one of his uncles <laughs> ran. Yeah. And like, you know, growing up, like, you know, he spent a lot of time there. You know, and totally. It was like sort of a salon of like, you know, intellectual, like political, like kind of red talk, you know, and, yeah. and stuff. And it's just like, to have that in your you community. You just don't have that. Like, you can't loiter anymore, for one thing. <laughs> no, everything in, in the United States is you need to buy things and, you know, the best they will do is sell you something in, in like, a coffee shop type environment mm -hmm. and let you sit there with it. Because mm -hmm. even restaurants will be like, are you fucking done? Like, what yeah. the fuck? Get out of here, you know? Yeah. Everything um, from, like, to how uncomfortable the chairs are because they want you to fucking leave. Yeah. The... The real best you can do is go to, like, a park. Go to, like, a library. Your library is, like, your best bet. But even then, you can't, like, really super talk and stuff. You can't be loud. Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, a, a park or something. I mean, there you kind of have some... Provided you can, you know, uh, withstand the solar <laughs> assault. <laughs> in Texas, anyway. Yeah, you really only got, like, five months to use the park if you're lucky in Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but it's just um, it's such a hollowing out, I think. And there's so much that's been written about this of the, because it goes, you know, hand in hand with the atomization, you know, mm -hmm. with this whole, there's a, I think it's a sociological work of some sort called Bowling Alone, which just talks about like all the, uh, all the clubs and shit. People used to be yeah. in bowling leagues and all this stuff is what it talks about. You know, like all these things, like. Maybe not our parents' generation, more like kind of those are Gen X-ish border people. But like beyond that, like it was so intertwined of like everyone's in clubs and shit. And everyone, even if you're not in clubs, you're still like. You're playing bridge with Neighborhood tie yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You know your neighbors, like all that stuff is just increasingly gone. And now it's just be afraid. And I think one of the big reasons that the violence in Palestine is so resonant to Americans is because it plays on their fear of their neighbors. Mm. They are Americans are always already desperately afraid of home invasions, which barely yes. ever happen in the U S yeah. Like ever, like the stats show, like a burglar is way less likely to come at you if they know you're home. Like, yeah. why would you do that? All you have to do is like go out and make noise and fuck, they're gone. Like, yeah, yeah. Nine times out of 10. Like, you know, very rarely is a big, you know, like, is like a, a small squad of people coming in to fuck people up. Yeah, that's just not but common. That's what I think the, the, the inner fantasy fear of Americans is like in hyperdrive running through their head over and over again. It's like, you know, oh, what if this happened to me? It's like they're picturing, you know, the, the, in their, you know, and it's very racialized, this barbarian horde mm -hmm. mentality of people just, you know, just outside the gates are coming in to heading and, and, yeah. and so in the United States, it's, it's, it's brown people south of the border mm -hmm. or it's people in the wrong side of town or it's whatever. Like that, that's what's, they're playing out and they can see that and picture that perfectly. 
they see it as a power fantasy of I need to defend defend my home so they should be able to defend theirs. Yeah, and to an extent, their parallel isn't completely without warrant because they're on stolen ground themselves just as these settlers mm. are, right? Is that they kind of do have that kernel of, it's a little bit true that I did <laughs> sort of, I'm invading in the same way. That, and they would never claim it's invading in the same way they ideologically claim it's correct that we should mm-hmm. be here, that they, this is their homeland. You know, it's ordained to them by God in the same way that it's ordained to us by God. It's, you know, city or, on the hill. Or of a, of a, you know, it's, that was my ancestors, that's not my fault mentality, which is, I think, mm-hmm. what most people do. Of like, well, that wasn't me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it was already, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you can't blame me for that sort of thing. Yeah. I got on a tangent of course. Like I said, I can tie everything back to Israel these days. No, I mean, but, uh, I get it. It's so pervasive <laughs> and it is so visceral, the news that you do see out of it, that it sticks with you. Like I, I have been really trying to avoid like video content of it because it's just so horrifying. Like I, even just reading the accounts is like sometimes too much for me. Like it's just like, Jesus Christ. Like it's just, ugh. So yeah, I, I've been able to dodge that mostly, but it's just... You know, I guess one another big thing that has been driving me on that uh, line of thought is that I think this is a very, it's simultaneously very hard to get people to break through on the who are the good guys and bad guys and stuff, who, you know, where the historical forces and stuff. To, uh, to really understand, to break through the propaganda of Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, the parallels are so rich that if you can succeed at that ground, then it really just basically opens up America's empire and America's settler colonial past. Yes. And basically everything else behind it's like capitalist mechanisms. It's like if you can understand... Israel's oppressing Palestine. They've stolen that land and they're bleeding them and they're trying to exterminate. I mean, then you can historically understand exactly what America has done with its whole entire project. And you can, you, it's, it's boom. There, there it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can understand so many factors of it. Like we mentioned, like the parallels with, you know, creating the Taliban, like who did that? You know, <laughs> like yeah. you'll be able to understand a lot of different parallels and a lot of different historical circumstances that are very similar. I don't know. I think in a lot of ways we are witnessing our future of like this kind of weaponry and technologies. It's going to, it's going to come home. Yeah. It's going to come home. I think in some ways it already has come home. The extent to which it hasn't come home to you is in some ways the extent to which, and you know, it may may not be that much, but still to which you're privileged in, in American society. It's largely by class lines. Yeah. And race lines. Yeah. I mean, the, the kinds of surveillance that people are under, the kinds of violence that people endure from, from the state, like, yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be different based on who you are and where you live. For sure. Unfortunately. Yeah. Can I tell you about a sci-fi book I read? Yes. Okay. Um, So this was actually recommended to me by our good friend, Helen. Shout out to Helen. Shout out to Helen. We love you. And it's called Red Rising. And it's by Pierce Brown. Now, it is a trilogy, and I've only read the first one. 
So <laughs> uh, I can't speak to the whole thing. You've just watched Star Wars A New Hope. What do you think? It's good. Um, <laughs> I liked when they blew up the Death Star. It was pretty good. <laughs> I like the big explosion. <laughs> the basic setup is it's space fascism. So the history of it is that Earth was dying, you know, weird. Mm-hmm. Don't know how that happened, but yeah, whatever. Magic. Don't think about it too hard. And they were, they had set up the moon as kind of a base of operations for colonizing the solar system and beyond and everything. And the moon basically revolted against Earth and was like, actually, we're going to do our own thing. And so they blew up Earth, basically. Uh, they just nuked the shit out of it. And the moon continued on to become this super stratified society where everyone is genetically uh, altered into different kinds of castes. Uh, So you have the golds, which are the top of the hierarchy. They are the rulers and everything. And they are just like physically super strong, super beautiful, uh, just like gods, basically. And um, you have lots of people in between. You have like the greens are like the science guys and you have uh, the grays, which are like the policemen. You have um, the obsidians, which are like the super soldiers. You have pinks, which are basically sex workers, but I don't think they get paid. So probably sex slaves. Um, And then you have the reds, which are the lowest. And what is interesting about this is, so you start off on Mars and you start with, with a group of reds and they're, in a mining community and they work to mine this, this element that uh, is like used as energy. And they have been told their whole lives for generations, like hundreds of years. They're like, you're doing this because earth is dying and we need to, and we need to make Mars habitable for other people. Mm -hmm. And you know, your sacrifice will make it so that we can bring other people to Mars. And they've been telling them this for, you know, years and years and years. They have competitions for whichever, like, clan wins, you know, mines the most stuff gets, uh, they call it the laurel, and it's, like, extra food, basically, extra mm. rations. And it's, like, nice stuff, too, uh, like sugar and stuff they don't normally get. Uh, but, like, their group never wins. Like, it, they figure out, like, I'm pretty sure this is rigged because, like, we had this one guy who's really good and, like, I don't understand how they could have beaten us. And so they're, like, squabbling over that all the time. And eventually, uh, the the main character, like, gets to see the surface of Mars, and he's like, it's fully fucking terraformed. Like, it's been done. (laughs) So they brought people, like, hundreds of years ago, and they've just been lying to everyone, saying, oh, you're working hard for the future, and, like, it's going to be fine. And, yeah, it's fully terraformed, and there's a whole society of these other colors living above the surface, and uh, they are all just working off the backs of them. And it's it's really interesting. It gets into this whole kind of like uh, war games scenario where he becomes one of the golds to infiltrate it. So I'm curious to see where that goes. But the first part is, I think, very ripe with metaphor and very interesting. Wow. So they're tricked into striving for something that actually is already brought about, but is given to someone else. Yes. That was what was very powerful for me. Yeah. It's this like striving for a future that, because like, so we, we always have the trope of where are our flying cars, you know, like 
You know, where, where's our fucking future rear promise? And, you know, the, the sad fact of the matter is that Jeff Bezos and their ilk already basically inhabit this sort of otherworldly, this strange chauffeured existence. Because, <laughs> like, you know, think about the Jetsons op- opening thing. Like, how much shit is, like, just dropped into their laps and stuff on conveyor belt? Like, the... Not the top one percent, but the the top tenth of a you know the hundredth of a one percent people like they already kind of live that life on our on our dime. That's what it is. Like, I I think they do. I think they can outsource so much of their work to other people that their life essentially does become automated. Yeah, there's uh, there's a couple of you know books and, and kind of a genre uh, of self help type books and stuff that say, oh, you can. You know, you can make a lot of money and, and mm-hmm. live a life of leisure and things. And they all boil down to hiring other people to do your <laughs> shit for you, which is just, that's the trick. Have you tried exploiting a worker? Yeah, no, that's that's the, the that's big it. secret to, you know, capital <laughs> just, successes. This one weird hack. Can you stop working and make chumps work for you? <laughs> that's that's where you actually exploit labor and make enough money to kick back and relax. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you get passive income i.e be a landlord and just you know exploit someone's like desire to live and use that for yourself can you hold basic necessities hostage for people yeah it won't do anything to corrupt your soul believe me like your soul's pretty <laughs> pliable your, your soul's pretty you know resilient it'll, it'll be, be fine. fine it'll be fine it'll be okay with like telling someone no you have to do this or else someone's gotta do it right yeah. you can't just give it to them for free but yeah, so I would say the book does fall into some like great man tropes. Like the guy's definitely like, you know, he becomes super strong and powerful and like he's uniquely strong in all these ways. I'm really curious to see how it's going to grow as a trilogy. Um, it was it was very weird because like it was such a segmented book because like the first, you know, hundred or so pages were all, you know, this guy's life in this horrible mining colony and then there's a middle bit where he's being transformed. And then, like, most of the book was him fighting this, like, Ender's Game kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I mean, it was cool. But it, it was interesting because, like, it's basically, like, they take all the kids. And it's it's extremely steeped in Roman ideology, too. Like, it's everyone's named after, like, gods and goddesses and shit like that. <laughs> so it's, like, super fash, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so the, they take all these these kids from the golds and he, you know, basically undergoes all these surgeries to become a gold. And they basically put them through all these tests. The first one being like, they put you in a cave with another kid and it's like, kill the other kid. Only one person can come out. Like, it's just real fucked up. What do the golds uh, do? Golds are like the leaders. They're either, there's like different layers of golds too. There's like, you know, political ones. There's like generals and uh, like primuses and like all these different kinds of like, ranks of golds there's also just some golds who like dick around and do jack shit which is what i would want to be but (laughs) nepo baby golds (laughs) yeah they're called pixies and they just like get high and like go drink and shit yeah hunter biden golds yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're just at the clubs having a great great time yeah Uh, i would not want to be a gold they're evil well that's us in the global i mean yeah yeah on the global scale we're golds (laughs) yes totally but yeah they they put them into this like area where they each have like a little they're divided up into houses of of like the different gods and goddesses and they have to like you know it's like capture the flag kind of 
But it and like the rule is you you all have like a, a banner, like a standard, right? And if you tap an enemy combatant with it, they become your slave. They're like marked with your house symbol. But the main character's like, fuck that. I'm not going to do that. He tries at first and he fails and almost gets killed. But then he's like, okay, I'm going to like let people not be slaves and like work together with other houses basically. And then he ends up like fighting off the the people who are running the game because he realizes the game is rigged for like the arch governor's son or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they like go attack all the teachers. It's really interesting and crazy. But yeah, I liked it. It was very, it was very much a page turner. I finished it in just a few days and it was like 700 pages or something like that. So yeah, recommend. I'm curious to see where it goes in terms of like, actual revolution because that is his goal is to overturn the society what are your predictions so far i feel like he's gonna he's gonna do some hand-wringing he's gonna be like yeah but i think he is because even in this book like he struggles because he makes friends in this school and he's like it's really hard to square the fact that like these guys are fucking assholes and ruined my family's life and like killed my wife back at home like he ends up falling in love with like the daughter of the guy who sentenced his his wife to death Sorry, girl, but he's going to pay. <laughs> right? Like, I I don't know how that's going to to resolve. Like, it's very weird because the, the, the war games part devolved into such a microcosm of their world. Like, people definitely became, like, higher and lower. Because, in, in, you know, everyone thought, like, oh, I'm a gold. I'm the best, you know? I think... He, in a way, it was impressive because he didn't necessarily conform to that. He didn't say, okay, I'm just going to make people slaves and I'm going to treat people shittily. And like, you know, there's a lot of assault and killing and all kinds of bad shit going on. I mean, he definitely did a lot of that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he did a lot of killing. He did find ways to like work together and like earn people's trust in a way that I thought was interesting. And I'm curious to see like if that will be able to continue, if he's able to like convert people. So I don't know. He's winning people's trust and stuff. Whose trust was he winning? I mean, these these are all assholes. <laughs> he was winning gold trust. Yeah. But, I mean, there were points in the book, though, where he was like, well, this is great practice for whenever I am leading a revolution of reds. That doesn't but, work well. Yeah, I know. I'm worried, too. I'm worried if, if he's going to be able to pull out of it. That's a, that's that's ref, that's reform. I mean, so, like, <laughs> my my point of view, if, he, if, he's, if he's, you know, garnering up the different... You know, various people who's been fucked over by gold and their ilk, you know, and it's like, yeah, you know, let's 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 team up in our ways. And we we've all experienced a different evil face of the same evil person, you know, and then when you come down to it and oh, you know, homegirls, dad's going to get put on a spit for being an asshole to generations of people. You can wash your hands of that and say it's not really even me. It's going to be, you know, all these other people that are that that he's wronged. It's it's sorry, you know. I mean, I'm I'm really curious because like even the original plan, I was like this seems crazy. Like their plan is to for him to like basically infiltrate into the highest levels of power so he can like have a fleet. And I'm like, how do you know he's not going to get corrupted by them? How do you know one fleet is going to be enough to take on every like there, I just have so many questions like how is this going to work? Like it's, it seems like a top-down approach instead of a bottom-up approach. Yeah. Which I understand because, like, the the bottom, they are so fucking crushed and, like, so... Yeah. They're very segregated, segregated in terms of, like, everyone has their own clan and stuff and, like, there's a lot of squabbling between them. So I think it would be really hard to do that. 
And also technologically, they are so far like worlds away, I think. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, that would be interesting, though, to see how like I wish there was a concurrent story of like, meanwhile, the people on the ground are organizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just also think that the risk of a top-down situation, or like that, said, that sort of factional sort of coup thing, is eventually you're going to have to ride an open car in Dallas, and that always end up the best way for mm. you. And, <laughs> you know, the various factions might have their way with you, and there you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm intrigued, and I will let you know how it turns out, listeners. <laughs> if you don't feel like reading. Uh, I'm totally going to read this book at some point. Yeah, read it. It's good. I've been reading a more esoteric tome. What are you reading? It's by Tom O'Neill. It's called Chaos, Charles Manson, the CIA, and the Secret History of the 60s. Ooh. And let me tell you, it does have me realizing how much people are getting from the true crime genre. Like, <laughs> like holy shit, like this is exciting fucking reading even if so often it's like and he's he's pretty good about being like i actually have not pieced all this together like he's just like i can't like there's too many too much fucking <laughs> shit there's so much doubt though and here's where the doubt first started and then here's you know it's just it's like this building story Ooh, that's cool. like so intense of like fuck like how much of this is just like made up and like all the characters here's a good example of like a, a crazy ass just a, a side character really but it's just one of those things where it's like how is this a person like <laughs> uh this is talking about a guy uh named charlie Tycho. okay someone who was a known quantity and uh, like you know an associate i guess of charlie manson and the family and stuff and Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate and those and the people who were murdered and it, it, wait, Roman Polanski was involved in the Manson shit. Yeah, so Roman Polanski, his wife Sharon Tate, who was pregnant, she was one of the ones who was killed. Wow, I didn't know that. He was like in London, probably just fucking around, like just just cavorting, doing some pedophile shit. Well, that too. Though that's not alleged really here, but yeah. I mean, he's also... We can kind of assume. We know that his proclivity is in that regard. But yeah, like, when that whole thing went down. But yeah, he's he's a character here. Anyway, this guy, Charlie Tycho, the guy ends up interviewing him. Uh, I kept calling and visiting him. I found him evasive or senile or a little bit of both. And the more I asked around about him, the more he seemed to vanish in the mist of the 60s. Some people told me with certainty that Tycho had been an assassin for the CIA. He was a gun freak and an incredible marksman. In his 2006 autobiography, the musician David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, and Nash identified Teco as a soldier of fortune who taught him how to shoot a gun. Whoa. Others said that he was an ex-Marine who'd served in Korea and used to show off his impressive knife-throwing skills. This I guy heard sounds crazy. He grew pot in Arizona, that he was a child molester, that he Whoa. was a coke smuggler, that he was an unaccredited screenwriter, that his intelligence <laughs> ties were all fictitious. And the strange thing was, none of this was entirely implausible. Oh my God, what a resume. <laughs> About the only thing everyone could agree on was that Tequila had been involved in a lot of schemes, that he'd been a drug dealer, and even more, a drug user. Okay, <laughs> wow. I don't, it's just like... 
Well, I know he does drugs for sure. Other than that, I don't know. Maybe knives? <laughs> <laughs> Weapons of some sort? He's he's into violence. <laughs> into violence. He's unsavory. Yeah. yeah. That's what we got. What a character. Yeah, and there's so many of those sorts of weird situations from, I mean, a pretty credible source, in my opinion, of reading this so far. It's like, God damn. And he has not really gotten into the MK Ultra stuff. Yeah. That is, from my understanding of the book, definitely there. So MK Ultra is connected to Charles Manson, they think. Because he was part of that, right? Yeah. he did, Well, so he has links. Um, he has links. Okay. And people aren't sure exactly what, but I think the book fleshes it out. And from my understanding, lays a pretty convincing case, in at least in terms of his links, uh, to what it ends up coming out as is that he seems to have get out of jail free cards before he does his shit. Mm. So the FBI, the CIA, and basically American intelligence, much in the same way that Jeffrey Epstein basically was walked by intelligence agents before uh, his shit. It seems like he's able to just kind of like roam free and his friends and these, you know, fucking soldiers of fortune shit weirdos are not afraid of, you know, bragging about the amounts of drugs that they're trafficking, the amounts of guns that they have. And so they're not afraid at all. Because they know he's clean. Yeah. uh, Because they've they've got a guy is what it seems like. Wow. Wow. Wasn't like the Unabomber connected to that too? Uh, I don't know. MK Ultra. Or, oh, M- I watched the yeah. show. Uh, MK Ultra in some mm-hmm. like uh, there's theories that he was sort of a washout of some yes. sort, uh, like a failed MK Ultra guy or something. Yeah, um, I watched like a fictionalized like historical reenactment kind of thing of of the Unabomber stuff. The thing we can't really even get our minds around, or like or, like ever prove on the MK Ultra thing is how like informal a lot of the stuff was so like they contracted mm. that stuff out. There's this, uh, psychiatrist in Canada. I forget his name. Gottlieb. No, it's Gottlieb. Maybe Sidney Gottlieb, I think is the main guy. There's another guy in Canada, someone that like, is just a psychiatrist. Like he's a regular ass psychiatrist <laughs> of some sort that also carries out all these, you know, basically MK ultra style experiments mm-hmm. and shit on his patients. Oh and just like, God. that was just like done. Like they just did this to people humans like wow i mean so that is actually why a lot of big reason why we have like research practices now uh what's called the common rule uh which is like basically hey you have to tell people if you're doing an experiment on them okay hon like (laughs) what would seem like common sense um that was not a rule until there was an investigation in the 70s on on mk ultra and they're like hey that was pretty fucked up huh Yeah, and that's and, and a lot of your classic psych experiments fall into that umbrella of like, yeah, we can't do this again because this was like Stanford Prison Experiment uh, and uh, the what was it, the Milgram one where they shock people, all that stuff is like, you cannot just do that to people unless you're telling them they're in an experiment because like they think they're torturing someone to death. And that you're the scary guy in the lab coat that's going to turn them into the Reich minister if they don't do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, and it was very common along among, like, incarcerated populations. So, you know, prisoners and, like, you know, mental, like, institutions, things like that would just... That, that's where those things would happen. Because they had a captive pool of subjects. Yeah. Ugh. And who better, you know, to turn loose onto a 
pool of captive <laughs> subjects than the CI fucking A. Oh, God. People who have definitely sent lots of people to both of those institutions. Yeah. <laughs> who are running like, it, who are congrats. there themselves, who mm-hmm. are profiting off of it. That's the... We're talking about the Star Wars parallels of everything. That's definitely our Sith order. Mm, it's the CIA. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no yeah. one's more, like, bought into the evil of the american project than them <laughs> there's a pretty good uh stand-in in star trek they the cardassians have the obsidian order mm. and they're like super secretive and like it's funny because they they come into conflict with the government a lot because they're like hey what the fuck are you doing like we didn't authorize that and they're like we're under our own authority like they just do shit like Ooh. that all the time <laughs> Dude, americans used to have like more of a healthy skepticism of, i feel like I feel like Americans do have a skepticism of the CIA, but like ingrained with it is this sort of like they're defending us. This sort of they're defending us and this like kookiness of the real anti-CIA people of like you're kind of weird, man, like actually thinking that they're in on stuff. And, oh, like it's too conspiracy minded. Yeah, to really be like dude, the CIA has it. like rogue elements and shit and <laughs> but that's like too far. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's also a sense of helplessness about it, too, of like, I mean, yeah, that's how it, like, you know, you hear a lot of rhetoric of like, well, the dirty work's got to be done by somebody and like, you know, kind of a sense of, you know, it's it's got to get done or it, it's, that's just how the game works. Mm-hmm. No, it's, okay, all of that, um, I'll make my thesis here. It's uh, mm-hmm. the war on terror. It's 9-11. Yes. 9-11. Yes, it is. So, Absolutely. And here's the turning. So so before us, you had the X-Files type of generation. Right? And so they and they were like, oh, for sure, the government's pulling shit on us. Like they, they, yeah. they have all the and, and everything. And but even their version of it was actually a watered down version of it that like survived the fall of the Soviet Union, survived the end of the Cold War and all that. And Reagan and everything else survived that from. It's kind of initial version of the church committee mm. and, and the in and, and the 1970s, the church committee and the in the house investigation on assassinations, the initial uncovering of the U.S.'s fuckery all throughout Latin America and everywhere else of how many countries we had knocked off. Like you had an initial like the Watergate babies and stuff like that. Yes, that's what I was going to bring up is there there was an initial I guess demystifying or or an initial like wake up of oh shit our government's lying to us kind of thing. Yeah, sort of like a like a pure hearted sort of paladin type of <laughs> mentality of like anti imperialism from within of like no guys we can't be bad, you know sort of thing from within American Empire that was like oh you know and and there was I would say more of an ability to do so like you had. You know, there's all these stories about, like, the press pushing on the government and saying, like, hey, fucking, you can't do that, and we're going to report it, and, like, you can't censor us and shit like that. Like, you yeah. have all these stories about people holding them accountable in a way that is just, one, very harder to, much harder to do now, and also there's a lack of interest in it. There is this kind of hand-waving of, yeah, of course the government's hiding stuff from us. Like, that there's, like, even, like, that's a common response I get when I talk about aliens, <laughs> because everyone's just like, yeah, I'm sure they are. And I'm like, why aren't you more upset about this? 
<laughs> you know, yeah. it's expected. And it's this really fashy idea of like, I guess they know better than us, so they can hide things from us. Yeah. And this like, because now they can also pull basically both sides of it at the same time. They used to could, you had to draw a firm line and say, are you going to let this guy talk or not? You know, and that's where you had, you know, you would essentially either off somebody or drive them to off themselves. Gary Webb style when he uncovered all the connections with the Contras and and the CIA and and Freeway Rick Ross and all the the, the whole like con- drug connection. And that was the journalist that got fired from everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, just like, got totally him fucking blackballed. 100 percent. Yeah. And, and then. Ugh they were probably targeting him and stuff to, I I think to push him in that direction mm-hmm. um, or to just do it. That's the old tactic you had to do because like, otherwise they were going to be out there talking about you. Right. And now you can just say, Oh, that's crazy. Right. You can say that's crazy. You can even amplify them in different channels. So you could set stuff up with dubious connections and say, Oh, well now are they Russian disinformatia? You know, are they an agent of the Chinese government? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can, you can deliberately fund them through other avenues, or let them let them be funded by other. There's so many different ways. This is one of the, I increasingly think, few interesting angles of Adam Curtis's documentary Hypernormalization. One of the key things that he kind of points out because it's a pretty scattered take overall. But one of the things he does kind of point out is the Russian government under Vladimir Putin's sort of strategy of well, what they called hypernormalization of this thing of like, do black ops and do secret shit like this? Do, you know, intelligence psyop operations on people? And then alternatively claim credit and say we did this and also deny and say we didn't do this. And basically leave it completely ambiguous to where people are at the same time thinking, and I think our government does this very well, of like, no, they wouldn't, this is kind of crazy. They wouldn't do this. And then leave a different camp of people saying they totally did it. And then leave a different camp of people saying like, yeah, but why would they? You know, it's just like, uh, in the Sopranos, of the how Pussy Malanga put it was, uh, you know, they know, but they don't know. uh... yeah like you want to sow disinformation so that you can get away with more shit because it's impossible to prove yeah and you can alternatively lay it at the doorstep of your enemies and say it's okay if you believe this you're russian disinformation or you know depending on your crowd you can be like okay this is just a tin tin foil hat wearing person you know, or, you know, maybe you do need it. Maybe some people do need to be made afraid. And they're like, hey, what if we could do this? Like, fuck you. Like, Yeah, and like you are splitting the populace in such a way that they can never come together to agree. Okay, they did this thing and it's fucked up. <laughs> like you can't be held accountable because everyone believes a different thing. Right. And and so you're, you're not even left, I think, in the old days when we're hearkening back to the House Select Committee on Assassinations and the Church Committee. And things like that. There was there were definitive government agents, you know, and, and government agencies and stuff that they could be like, hey, uh, we think there was some sort of a conspiracy in the, in the mm-hmm. Kennedy assassination or whatever it was. You had people to call out. You had consequences. You had public consequences. Like you had actual results. 
And that's just not a thing anymore. Yeah, now it's so nebulous and so like, I mean, if you had that going nowadays, so many people, and I think this was a big current. I think one of the frustrating things for you must have been, not for me so much because I'm more tuned out of it because I did get that cynicism that you're so frustrated about um, in terms of the extraterrestrial angle. But like so many people were like, okay, why would they let this guy go whistleblow? Yes, yes. I had a lot of people say that, like, why, why would they tell us this? Or, yeah. yeah, And also a lot of the disinformation campaign stuff, too, of like, oh, it's probably Chinese or Russian or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's a great example of all those angles coming together. And so nowadays, we're just, I think, that much more cynical of the possibilities. Oh, we just need to get Dave and Dan in here for a few drinks. Let them tell us what's really going on. But would they tell us? Wouldn't they just spin mm. us another tale, make us disinformati or whatever? Maybe, you know? maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's to me, I think, the big change. Because then, I mean, you know, you go from the idealist sort of the the, the heady days of the 70s and stuff to a little bit more jaded in the 90s and stuff of like, yeah, man, you know, but there's still that sort of shit going on. But I think 9-11, that, that sort of, war on terror stuff cuts the cord there a whole like just two worlds and you can't i there was something and i remember it really viscerally i was talking to mr white about it basically oh i I love him so we had a few drinks me and him and his his friend of his talking about it or whatever and i'm just this i'm naive man i'm a liberal because i kind of buy stuff about like you know kennedy and stuff maybe being an inside job and things like that he's also like just going on about like 9-11 you know, like this really serves the powers to be and everything like this. And there's, there's, and I'm, I remember trying to make this, trying to just emotionally basically make this plea of like, how could people do this to their own citizens? <laughs> how could they like actually go and do this to their own people? And you just kind of like, well, look at everything. <laughs> look what they do to us on a regular basis. They're destroying the planet they live on. They can, they are no holds bar. Yeah. And I, I just think that that was, that was one of the big, you know, the big dividing lines that like then tried to make us into kooks and normies of you're a psycho, you're, you belong in an institution. If you think the American, and and this was, I think really in place in in the early 2000s and stuff, and then has since faded into a little bit of normalcy, but still, you're weird in some way if you still think that, like, America is in some way doing bad things to its people or capable of such things, right? Like, yeah. initially, that was, like, just a sin. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't see it that way. <laughs> you're basically as good as the terrorists. And now it's, you know, a little bit not as bad, but still. That, I don't know, that was the big, you know, they, they cleaved us off from that old tradition of being skeptical about our government and said, actually, nay, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I think now the best we can get people to admit is that the government is not doing things for us instead of like actively doing things against us, I guess. I mean, I think people have a hard time seeing it as the same thing, which it is. Like, let's mm-hmm. make it clear. Like, they are like, depriving us of things we want and need and deserve as humans for profit. And we should be all very angry about that. 
and, and you know, we talk about this all the time too, is the, the neoliberal project of tearing down the government's ability to do things well. So you can then point to the government and say, Oh, well, look what a bad job they did. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I think I'm all, all shitted out, all cleaned right. out. Plenty of rants. <laughs> to yeah. Keep us going. All right. <laughs> Same. All right. Next week, we are finally getting to that book that I won't shut up about <laughs> surveillance capitalism. <laughs> Hell yeah. It is by Shoshana Zuboff. If you want to check that out, uh, give yourself lots of time, though, because this is a big one. And if you don't want to, it's okay. I'll give you the TLDR. Nice. Should be good. The teasers have been good, so. Yeah, yeah. It is a terrifying but enlightening book. Kind of like our <laughs> lives on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> good night, everybody. Sleep well. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> All right. Talk to y'all next week. Adios. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.